Well, how are you doing, community of faith? You doing okay? All right. You're not at the outlet mall. That's, that's a good thing, right? And uh, some of you are going, I got to go later today. Well, at Christmas, we always think about coming home. For some reason, that's one of the big things that come. There's all the songs about coming home, you know, like, I'll be home for Christmas. You sing it with me. You can count. Now, I don't know why they don't let me lead the music here, but it, they said they want people to come back. Is what they said. But you know, I think the reason why we love those so much is because we know how easy it is to get lost, and God knows that too. In fact, Jesus said that. Oh, these people are so lost. I just like I just want to gather them up and and and, and hold them in my arms and. And God said a lot of the same thing. Um, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 14. He said, your father in heaven does not want a single one of the tripped, waylaid, stumbling little ones to be lost. That's the whole reason why there is a Christmas. This great God of ours came down to find us. He knew we would never find him, so he came to find us. And that is what changed everything. I want us to come home for Christmas and a little bit different kind of homecoming I want you to think about this morning. I want us uh, to come home in our hearts. And I'm gonna talk to you just a, a little bit about that. You know, we can go days and weeks and months and we just get so busy. Life is so chaotic. We get caught up in all of these different things and, and we can just kind of, push God kind of to the corners, you know, and, and, and forget about the reason why we're here in the first place. I think it was true on that very first Christmas too. We find Mary in the, the middle of trying to build a great life. I mean, she's super busy. She's planning a wedding. She's engaged to Joseph. Now, it's a little different back in this day, 2,000 years ago. Uh, they got married a little bit younger than we do in the United States. She's probably around 15. Joseph might have been as old as 25 or so. And um, this little 15-year-old girl, just imagine her. She's excited. She's planning the wedding. She's thinking about life with Joseph, wondering where they're going to live, what they're going to do. And in a moment, just a moment, everything changes. Her whole life is just blown up, obliterated. What happens? You remember that an angel came and spoke to her and said, hail, favored one. And everything changed in a moment. Chaos ensued. And if you look at what um, it says in the scriptures about what Mary did, we see the first thing is that we get lost when we get stuck in our heads. Look at what Mary did. It says in Luke 129, but when she saw him, the angel, she was greatly troubled and disturbed and confused at what he said and kept revolving in her mind what such a greeting might mean. Dialogizomai. Dialogizomai is the Greek word for revolving in her mind. It means to obsess it means to just constantly go over and over and over and over something. And it's so easy to do that, isn't it? We get so caught up in, 
and, and things that are going on around us, the chaos around us. And so this angel came and brought chaos. As he continues to talk, she's thinking, what is Joseph going to think? What is my mom going to think? What are people going to think? You know, not a lot of people really believe you when you go around and say, yeah, I'm pregnant, but it's God's son, you know? Uh, yeah, Mary, sure, right, you know? And, and she's thinking, oh, my life has just taken a radical turn that I didn't even see coming. I think if Mary would have stayed in her head, she would have driven herself crazy. I mean, the whole event played out in such an unprecedented, you know, just chaotic way. I think we've heard this story so much that we don't put ourselves in Mary's place very often. You know, we kind of think of the first Christmas like a Norman Rockwell painting where it's like all is calm, all is bright, you know, and, and it just, it, it feels, we have our little nativities and, and feel all of this. It's just a good feeling. For Mary, nine months before that first Christmas, it wasn't a good feeling at all. In fact, she just had been thrown in to chaos. And um, if you think about it, I think that we probably have this, this idea about it. We've kind of made it nostalgic, you know. It, it helps people sell products, you know, like Bath and Body Works. They sell the smells of Christmas. I was reading some of that this week. I mean, they've got like um, cinnamon, pine, candles, you know, and, and then they've got like, um, I think it was called vanilla bean Noel or something like that. But if you think about the real smells of that first Christmas, it'd be like shepherd sweat, dirty camel or a dirty donkey, you know, I mean, uh, dung, you know, you're in the, yeah, those probably wouldn't sell so good, you know, like I'm wearing a dirty donkey right now, you know, that doesn't sound, that, that sounds kind of weird. But so, you, you know, you're, you're looking at all of these things and we, we get nostalgic about it, but it was chaotic. I mean, the cattle are lowing. There's a cow in the delivery room. It's not, it's not okay, you know? Um, but we get so familiar with the story. I think if you look at it a little more closely, we can see that God did everything that he did intentionally, even though Mary's life was thrown into chaos. Even having the baby born in a stable God was saying, I understand, I get it. He didn't, he wasn't born like in a, as an emperor in a palace. He said, I understand poverty. I understand human pain. I understand what it means to live this human life because Jesus told us, he said, this life is gonna be difficult. God knows living in this broken world of ours is difficult. It's hard. And I think he's trying to say, I get it. I see it. I lived it. I'm with you in it. He didn't exempt himself from earth's pains. So how did Mary, how did she get unstuck? How did she get out of her head? Well, let's go back again to that first encounter with the angel. This is nine months before the first Christmas. And a few verses later, it says this. After the angel had finished talking to her, Mary, deciding in her heart, she made a decision in her heart. Here I am, the Lord's humble servant. As you have said, let it be done to me. And the heavenly messenger was gone. Dulos, humble servant in Greek, that original language of the New Testament. Dulos, the lowest kind of servant, the servant who doesn't 
have any rights, the servant who doesn't have any authority, doulos. She said, I am doulos. I am the Lord's humble servant. Then nine months later in the stable, the shepherds have just seen a multitude of angels. You know, they've appeared and they've said all of these things about Jesus and who he's going to be. And I proclaim, you know, good news, uh, great news about peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And let me just read you in Luke 2.15 and following. It says, the shepherds then hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. You see, she had decided, I am choosing to be doulos, a humble servant. And the thing about the servant, the servant doesn't live up here. The servant doesn't have to figure out the world around them. The servant doesn't have to, you know, control events and figure it all out and put it all together and calculate and worry and, you know, put all of this. What does a servant do? That's the master's job. The servant just says, whatever you say, I'll do it. I'm going to do whatever you say. You speak to me and I'll do it. Servants simply listen and obey. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30. He says, if you're tired from carrying heavy burdens, come home to me and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. I like that because it says the exact opposite of what most Americans think that God is going to say to them if they were to seek after God. They, they think that God wants me to come home, but he's saying, I want you to come home to rules. I want you to come home to regulations to live by. I, I want you to come home to, to rituals so that, that you know, we'll do, go through these rituals that worship me. I want you to come home to restrictions in how you live. I want you to come home to religion. But the amazing thing is God didn't say any of those things. He said, come home to me and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Does that sound good on a day like today when there's chaos all around us? You can't figure out what's going on. We feel so lost, so anxious. But the secret of Christmas, and maybe we haven't discovered it yet, the secret of Christmas, what if, what if home was all around us? What if heaven was right here all around us? It is. Heaven's just another dimension. It's not way up there somewhere. There are angels around us right now. Each of you probably has a big old guardian angel standing beside you or behind you or around you or above you because they're not limited like we are by space. Heaven is all around us. In fact, listen to what the apostle Paul said in Acts 17, verse 26 through 28. He was talking to a group of people in Athens, probably the most intellectual city of the day. And they had a lot of, a lot of altars to a lot of different gods. Most of their gods were pretty capricious gods that just messed around with human beings for fun. But they had one altar that said to an unknown God. And Paul said, I want to tell you about 
this God, this God, he loves you. This God, he cares about you. This unknown God is the God of the universe. And listen to what he says. He said, this God made us in all our diversity from one original person, allowing each culture to have its own time to develop, giving each its own place to live and thrive in its distinct ways. His purpose in all this was that people of every culture and religion would search for this ultimate God, grope for him in the darkness, as it were, hoping to find him. Yet in truth, God is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. What if coming home to God this Christmas was as simple as getting out of our heads and into our hearts? Some of you are going like, well, Mark, I've heard stuff like that, you know, many times before, maybe a hundred times, but no one tells me how to actually do it. How, How do I do that? Well, in order to understand that, we've got to go way back, 3,500 years back, 1,500 years before Christ, 3,500 years back. And we see a man out in the desert and he's standing in front of a bush that is burning with this supernatural kind of fire, but it doesn't burn up. And he realizes that it's God appearing to him. It's Moses in front of the burning bush. And he has the audacity in the midst of this conversation to ask God, what do I call you? What is your name? And God was gracious enough to answer. And it's recorded for us in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament. And what's recorded is Y-H-W-H. That's my name. Can you pronounce that? Y-H-W-H? Well, we say Yahweh. We like, we like our vowels, right? But Catholic theologian Richard Rohr shares that he was at a conference where a rabbi friend was sharing and taught him something amazing. He said, in the Jewish tradition, you were never to speak the name of God. It was, it was blasphemy to speak his name and in reverence. No one spoke it. In fact, until Jesus came, no one would speak even the name of God. But Jesus says, look, I want you to know you can call him father. He wants to be your father. And he used the word Abba, which is daddy. And so it changed really everything. But what this rabbi said was that Y-H-W-H, they're the only consonants in Hebrew that you don't use your lips or your tongue. It's just breath. And so really it's the sound of breathing. When Moses said, what is your name? Out from Amazing supernatural fire came the sound of breath. (sighs) Breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. And this rabbi said that the correct pronunciation seems to replicate and imitate the very sound of inhalation and exhalation. And in pronouncing it, as you don't use your tongue, you don't use your lips. What he said is, this is really life-changing when you think about it. Every breath we speak the name of God. Think about how that changes everything. 
a little baby when they're born. And they come into this world either quietly for some of them, some of them wailing. They speak the name of God. And they begin to live on this planet in a powerful way. They've been alive in their mother's womb, but the breath is suddenly in them. And the person on their deathbed, is it that we die when we lose our last breath or is it that we die when we can no longer speak the name of God? So all of our life, all of our existence, every single person on the planet is breathing the name of God. There's no Islamic, Christian, or Jewish way of breathing. There's no American or African or Latin, Asian way of breathing. There's no rich or poor, gay or straight way of breathing. There's no Democrat or Republican way of breathing. There is a level ground for all of us, the same air, the divine wind. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is like wind and blows wherever he wishes. He's life. When you think about it that way, God is suddenly available and as accessible to us as our very breathing, the thing we do all the time. Exactly like some of the teachers of prayer have taught in the past, some of those great monks that were out, you know, that people would come to find and they would say, focus on your breath, focus on your breath and begin to breathe. The same breath that was breathed into Adam's nostrils and he became a living soul. The breath that Jesus handed over to his father on the cross. Remember the last thing he said on the cross? Father, into your hands, I commit my Literally in Greek, breath, my spirit. I commit my breath. And he breathed his last, Yahweh. And then when he came back, as he rose from the dead and he came to his disciples, he says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And God began to move on our planet like he had never moved before. Listen again as... Paul in Romans talks about this. It says, the Holy Spirit, he does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs. The word that saves is right here, as near as the tongue in your mouth, as close as the heart in your chest. In sadness, we breathe out heavy sighs. In joy, our lungs feel like, fill up and like they're almost gonna burst. In fear, we hold our breath and someone has to say, just breathe, just breathe, right? And when we're about to do something hard, we take a deep breath to find courage. It makes profound sense to me that the name of God is not a Hebrew word or a word in Egyptian or Latin. It's not a word in Arabic or Sanskrit or English or Greek. Not in any single language. It's in all of them. It transcends language and culture. It's just breathing. It's life. Everyone who's ever lived or will ever live speaks his name every moment of their life. 
So how do you get home? First, just breathe. In fact, let's do it right now. I want you just to close your eyes and I want you to take a few deep breaths in and out. You don't have to do it through your mouth. Even when through your nose, it's still that sound. And just focus down and be here right now. You've got so many things on your mind. Thinking about all the Christmas gifts you haven't got yet. And where are you going to eat lunch? And now that I said that, you're really thinking about it. Just clear all that out. Just breathe. Just breathe. Just be right here, right now. God is here. You're breathing his name. And once you're quieted, then like Mary, just say this. I will trust you, Master. I will trust you, Lord. I'm listening. I'll do whatever you say. That's what it means to be a believer. It means that he is your Lord. If you confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Is he your Lord? Then you don't have to figure all this out. All of these things you've been trying to work through. All of this chaos. All of this turmoil. Someone said recently, it feels like it's all unraveling. It's all coming apart. And a friend of mine said to me, when they said that to him, he said, I started thinking maybe it's all coming together. Maybe it's the end of the age and it's all coming together. It's going to feel like a great unraveling. But God knows what he's doing. He's the master. You're the servant. Let him be God. Quit trying to be God. You're not good at it. It's killing you. Just breathe and then say, you are master. I am your servant. I'll do whatever you say. I look back up here. The next thing I want you to do, even if you've done this many times before, is I want you to read the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. Read the Gospel of John. It's got more of the teachings of Jesus than any other book in the Bible. And then I want you to obey what it says. See, a lot of us have read it. It's kind of like the Christmas story. We've read the Bible. We know the verses. And they just kind of become this thing that we can regurgitate. But Jesus says, it's not, it's not those who just hear. He said, if you've got ears, I want you to really hear. And then I want you to do it. Not just be hearers of the word, but doers. So if we do that, it's going to be a radical, radical thing. You know, some of you have been uptight about what God's asking you to give or, or what you're trying to figure out what to give. You're figuring out your finances. What can I give to best gift? I really want to be a part of this. Really want to do this. Quit. Quit. Just get quiet. God, whatever you say, I'll do. And here's the thing. It's always kind of impossible what he says. Like, here's what I want you to do. I, uh, you know, think what Mary must have thought. And here, if you write something in those blanks and you say at the end of the year, I must have missed God. I didn't hear. That's okay. We're all learning. Nobody's going to hold. Nobody's going to call you up and say, you said you're going to give this, but you didn't, you know. It's fine. 
But if you hear him, hear him as best you can and put down what he says to do and just do it and watch. You get to, it's so fun to be on the front row seat of a miracle happening and you can be the miracle. You don't know what God wants to do in your life. As you open that up, just listen, read the gospel of John and begin to put into practice what Jesus said. It's really radical. It's going to be life-changing. It's not American religion. I can tell you that because God's not looking for our comfort. He's working for our character. And he also says it's going to be really difficult. And if you're a Christian, it's going to get more difficult. And if you get married, it's going to be more difficult, Paul said. And they didn't even tell you that at your wedding, did they? But it's difficult. Life is hard. But he's saying, I'm right here. And you don't have to figure out the world. You think Mary understood the circumstances she was placed in? You think she understood the mission of her son in those early days? while he lived. The only thing that she understood, one guy in the temple made a prophecy. He said, he's come, this little baby, when she went to dedicate him in the temple, he's come for the salvation of many, and a sword will pierce your soul, Mary. I just imagine when they thrust that in Jesus' side, it just had to pierce her soul. She didn't know that was coming. It was going to be excruciatingly hard to watch her only, you know, her, her son that was a God-man die. But she, she didn't understand, but she did trust in God. And with the kind of faith that accepts God's word for, for what it is, she was willing. She didn't understand. But she said, be it done to me according to your word. God always takes that. He always does. See, do you trust his heart? So hard, isn't it? So hard to trust. We, we've grown up and, and people have let us down so often, even some of our primary caregivers, so that we don't trust our father. He's not like that. He didn't say it was going to be easy, and he didn't say that we wouldn't have hurt and turmoil and grief and things come into our life in this broken world of ours that sin just runs rampant in and you know, we kind of balled it up from day one when our first forefathers sinned and it, it just has kept on going and going and it's just, and the wages of sin, what? Death. And it just comes around to all of us. But he said, even in the middle of the darkest dark, I am here. Just listen, just breathe. Just listen. Just obey. Let me be really clear about this. Today, I'm not inviting you home to religion. Not at all. I'm not inviting you to come even just to some church or, or some denomination. That's why I love that we're multi-denominational. You can be here. You can be Catholic and stay Catholic till the day you die, and we will love you, and you're part of community of faith. Or you can be Methodist till the day you die, or Presbyterian, Methodist, Episcopalian, whatever you are, okay? Or no church at all, or no background at all. That's not what's important. What I've shared is, is nothing complex. It's not 
hard to understand. A five-year-old can get what I've just talked about, but come home to his love, his forgiveness. Step into trust. As you begin to do that, you'll see that he's trustworthy. In fact, he even says, we might be faithless, but he will remain faithful. That's the God that, that we serve. The real bottom line is, will you take this small step of faith this Christmas and come home to God? Are you going to let it bypass you for another year and live in the chaos? Live in all of the craziness, trying to figure it out, trying to be God, trying to control. What's even more amazing? You'll find that when you do this, he's just been waiting on you. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I don't care if you're a religious person or non-religious, you're Catholic or Protestant or Jewish or Buddhist or Hindu. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about connecting to God. We're talking about a relationship, not religion. God, I want to come home to you. I want to obey you. I want you to be Lord of my life. I can't figure this out anymore, but I will obey and I'll listen. So you just breathe, get grounded, begin to put that everything out of your mind. And then you say, I'm listening, Lord, speak. You are my master. You are my Lord. I'll do whatever you say. And then as you begin to read that gospel of John, those are his words directly to us. In fact, did you know in John chapter 17, he prayed for you. He said, Father, I'm praying not only for these disciples here, but for everyone who will come to me from their word. That goes down through the ages all the way to us. It's amazing. Mary's body lay sapped of strength. She had just given birth a few hours before, but her mind was racing again. It always comes back around. We, we fall back into it. It's so easy. The baby began to cry, so she picked that little one up. The shepherds had left long before. She walked outside. There's a big full moon shining brightly. The stars are shining in the sky. It's like a cloudless night. And she looks down into the face of her little baby. This is God. God, she had so feared this moment. I mean, first off, she didn't know what God was going to look like. What does a God baby look like? Just a little ball of light, you know, that you carry around with you? Or what is it? But he looks so human. Must have got that from his mother, right? He looks frail. He's just a little baby. He's got his eyes wide open, and he's staring up into the sky. Can you see the stars? Can your eyes focus that far? You remember their names? Do you know who your daddy is? Am I going to do this okay? Is this going to be all right? Is this going to turn out okay? You know all the fears that I've had. But then as the night becomes silent, even 
cattle are not lowing. The stable is quiet. In the middle of that night full of stars, Mary pulls Jesus up, his little baby, and puts his face beside her face. And she begins to relax as she matches her breathing to the breath of God. I want you just to close your eyes with me as we close out today. Breathing with God. Every breath is his name. He is closer than you can even imagine. He's here. I don't care what you've thought in the past. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. He has broken through time and space to be with us. And he said, I need you. I want you. I care for you. Make me your master. And when you do, come home to me. As you just obey my words, don't try to figure it out. Don't try to be me. I will give you rest, rest for your soul. So remember your homework this week. Breathe. Take a few minutes until it all settles down. Say, I'm your humble servant. I'll do whatever you say. You are my Lord. Then read the Gospel of John a little bit at a time and obey it. I promise you, your life will not be the same and you will find rest for your soul. Father, I ask that we would experience this, that you would bring this to pass in our life. I say, come kingdom of God upon us, be done will of God over us to everyone within the sound of my voice. Let them find this soul rest. And if this is the great unraveling or the great coming together, at the end of the age, no matter how hard it gets, we will rest, we will trust, we will know in the darkest night that you are God. And we will have that relationship with you that changes everything. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.